Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, November the 25th, 2023. It is currently 4.12 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And if you heard this sound... Okay, I don't know. Well, that's a little way louder than it was. Okay, that was sitting on top of my iPad, and when I picked up my iPad to give you the date and the time, my pencil sharpener fell off my iPad. So I apologize. It's a little handheld pencil sharpener. I can't. I don't go anywhere without it. I always need a pencil sharpener. Why? Because I always have a pencil. Why? Because well, that's what spiritual people do, right? We carry around pencils and pencil sharpeners, right? Always. You must always have one. Okay, I know I know you probably disagree with that. You probably don't. I don't need a pencil. I don't need a pencil sharpener. Who would use those things? I don't need those things. Okay, I understand. I understand. But there's something else that a lot of Christians think they need. They think they need it because they reference them a lot, and that is a Bible commentary. Now, I'm going to say something that many may perceive to be extremely controversial, I believe many times when you wake up in the morning, you get dressed, you eat breakfast, you get in your car. When you wake up on a Sunday morning, if I did not specify, you wake up on a Sunday morning, you get dressed, you eat breakfast, and you drive to this building. Maybe it's a large building. Maybe it's a smaller building. But you drive to this building that requires a lot of money for upkeep, to pay the, the mortgage, to pay the insurance, to, to, to make sure the repairs and, and the electricity and everything that goes into keeping that building operating. You get, you wake up on a Sunday morning, you get dressed, you eat, you get in your car, you drive all the way there, you walk in and you sit down. And whether you like to believe this or not, a lot of times all that you are doing is going to listen to someone share to you what they found And a Bible commentary. (laughs) You may not want to believe that, but in many cases, all you're hearing is that someone during the week sat down at a desk and they took their, their favorite commentary, a MacArthur commentary, you name it, and they took that commentary and they basically took what was in the commentary, rearranged it, put it in their own words, and now they're going to share with you what they found in a Bible commentary. Meaning that even Bible commentaries are in a sense kind of omnipresent even inside church. And then in the life of many believers, what do you do? You read your Bible, you're looking at it, and as soon as you have a difficulty, a struggle, a question, what do you do? You look at a commentary. That commentary may show up in the notes of your favorite study Bible. That commentary may show up on your favorite website or an app. Or it may show up in a physical form, right? Right here, I have a commentary on the book of Daniel. That's a book of Daniel. There, there's one. Oh, here, I have a commentary in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, the book of Jeremiah. Oh, here, I have a commentary on the book of Mark. Right? Now, guess what? If I was going to preach on one of those passages, I would sit here and probably look at the commentary. Bible commentaries are everywhere. Just as I always make the joke that you, you, you know, if you're a Christian, you have to have a pencil and a pencil sharpener and a notebook. I always say that you have to have a pencil, a pencil sharpener and a notebook. Now, typically I leave out the pencil sharpener, but if you're going to have a pencil, it's pretty obvious you're going to need a pencil sharpener. 
But I always say that, right? You need a Bible, you need a notebook, and you need a pencil. I say that over and over and over and over again. But the reality is, if I was going to handle this the way most Christians live out their Christian life, you have to have a Bible commentary. You have to have a Bible commentary because it is almost like it's just there. We reference them all the time. Now, Christians who don't study their Bibles, Christians who don't engage in Bible study, they don't use them. They just go to church, listen to what the pastor says, and then they go home. They may say they agree. They may say they disagree. They don't really need a reason to agree or disagree other than their own opinion, but they will do that. Others will study. What many will do, if they disagree with the pastor, they run home and they grab their Bible commentary that agrees with them and then use the Bible commentary to argue against the pastor. And in many cases, the pastor is looking at you going, that's page seven from whichever commentary. I know the commentary just like you do. Okay, but but the point is, Bible commentaries, they're, they're very much a part of the DNA of the lives of many Christians, and there's almost no way to get around it. And much of the preaching is simply the taking a Bible commentary, rewording it in their own language, maybe adding some additional thoughts, and then sharing that. Now, when you break it down that way, are you in favor of Bible commentaries, or are you an opposition to Bible commentaries, or do you believe it's not a matter of should you be for them or should you be against them? Maybe it's a matter of having a better understanding of them and maybe a better way of using them. Now, the only reason we're going to talk about Bible commentaries today is because I just saw an article where there's a new set of Bible commentaries that are available to you right now at this very moment, free of charge, and you can access them online. So before this is over, I'm going to tell you about these new Bible commentaries. Now, they believe that this these may be the Bible commentaries that we've been missing and we didn't even know it. That these may be the Bible commentaries that fill in the gap, that that maybe they feel other commentaries was lacking. The, the, you know, the, the, These are the Bible commentaries that you need. But of course, every Bible commentary says this is the Bible commentary you need. Now, what many Christians will do, they seek out the Bible commentaries that will agree with their team right? I need a Bible commentary that agrees with my theological team. And if it doesn't agree with my team, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to read it. And I want to ignore it unless I'm only going to use it and read it to criticize it, okay? Which is not very beneficial. But Bible commentaries. Now, let me just state my position. One, I think preaching should be more working on the text than simply creating sermons based off commentaries, right? I'm tired of going to church, hearing people just give you sermons where all they did was take a commentary and break it down. I would rather we throw out all of the commentaries and we struggle with the text together. And then now we may utilize the commentary, but it's more of us engaging the text than simply listening to someone regurgitate the latest Bible commentary that they read. And look, at, and once you kind of figure out the Bible commentary that the preacher's using all the time, right? I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, you can try this as an experiment. If you kind of figure out the ones that they go to all the time and you get those the co copies of them and you know what text is coming the next week and you go read everything those commentaries have to say about the text, you probably just got the sermon, Oh, I know that's going to make some people mad. I know that's going to make some people angry, but it's just way too common. I've watched it happen way too many times 
way too many times. And then you start thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing? I would rather, hey, the commentaries are there. We may reference them. We may use them. That's okay. But we're going to engage this text and we're going to deal with this perspective and this perspective. And we're going to struggle and we're going to ask questions. To me, that is much, that is, that makes the church much more worthwhile because if all they got to do is just buy the commentary they're using, what's the point? Right? So my perspective on Bible commentaries, at first for the individual, for the individual, it's this. Learn Bible study methods. Use those methods way before you ever look at a commentary. I don't care if you're using a devotional method, chapter summary method, chapter analysis, word study, biographical, thematic, topical, one of the 12 basic, you know, methods of Bible study. Use that first. Do everything you can, engaging, observing, struggling, questioning. And then when you find like, okay, I think I've got this text down at least to the best of my ability, then by all means, run to the world of Bible commentaries and you can drown yourself in them. But that should be after you've done all of this other work. And then I believe as far as from the pulpit, Bring the commentary with you. You know, if you have it there, bring it with you. Or at least tell people and go, hey, this commentary says this. And then you're like, and then we struggle with it. Maybe the commentary makes claim A. And you're like, well, the only way to really to really know if this claim is true, we're going to have to look up every verse that deals with this subject. Are you ready? Let's go. And then you start looking up every single verse that deals with the subject. Now you say, well, you can't really do that in a sermon. Well, see, that's the problem. I'm sick and tired of people telling you what you can and can't do in a sermon. Who came up with the rules of what you can and can't do? If it gets you into the text, isn't that more important? Now, the Bible commentary then is simply used as a tool to get you to the text. Or as I like to do, I, I say this all the time, if you've listened to this podcast. I just reached down and picked up uh, the commentary on Mark. I could turn to a passage in Mark and go, this commentary presents this hypothesis on the text of Mark, whatever, Mark chapter one, Mark chapter two. Here's their hypotheses. Now we utilize that for us to then challenge and test said hypotheses. I love using a commentary that way. This commentary presents this as a hypothesis. And then we challenge it and test it. But but I, I think so many times it's, the, I, it, dare I say, some commentaries become the de facto magisterium. They come, they come the default pope. And you don't question it. And then many, many Christians who want to argue with a the pastor, they think that just because they ran home and found a commentary... And I, when I use that word commentary, I, I could be referencing an actual commentary. It could be a sermon. Anything that's presenting information about a text or an interpretation of text, I'll, I'll reference that as a commentary. They'll, they'll, they'll run to some commentary-related material to find the perspective. Then they'll go back and say, you're wrong. And he's like, based off what? Because you found commentaries that differ from my interpretation? What makes those commentaries more authoritative than my answer? What makes that commentary more authoritative than that commentary? Is it what makes it more authoritative is because you agree with it? So then the commentary becomes a basically a pope 
And which then offers, I guess, dogmatic declarations, which if someone doesn't follow, they are anathema. No, I'm not bound by a commentary. But see, then what we do is we then play this little game that it's not the commentary saying it, it's the Bible saying it. But you got the answer from the commentary that now you're imposing on the Bible. Commentaries. Let, let me read an article that I that that led me to this entire discussion entitled "The Bible Commentary We Didn't Know We Were Missing." Ooh! Now the whole purpose of this uh, article really is to advertise a commentary that the Gospel Coalition has put out. And if you go to the Gospel Coalition, uh, the Gospel Coalition is all run together. The gospel the Gospel Coalition dot o r g backslash commentary. You can see this new commentary they've put out. The Gospel Coalition, all run together, thegospelcoalition.org backslash commentary. You can see this commentary that is available. And here's what they have to say. If we preach or teach frequently, you know the value of a good commentary. Now, see, once again. The implication is if you preach and teach, what do you do? You go to commentaries. You run to commentaries. You run to commentaries. You may even have a handful within arm's reach at any given time. See My pencil sharpener, my pencil little illustration that I started with that probably wasn't so good, right? I always have a pencil and a pencil sharpener and a, and a notebook at hand's reach. And whenever... If I go anywhere, I usually have the little uh, the book bag that's right next to me. I carry this book bag to church. I carry it anywhere and almost everywhere I go. And guess what's always in it? A Bible, a notebook, a pencil sharpener, and about 50 pencils. Always. Always. But they say for some people, they always have a handful of commentaries at arm's reach at any given time. Typically, if you go into a pastor's office, look. There's a bookshelf. There's books. Oh, great. I ignore 90% of the books and I look for the commentaries. And once I identify the commentaries, oh, do you use those commentaries all the time? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. All right. So let's say next week you're preaching on Matthew 5, that commentary. I go get the commentary. Most likely I'm going to have a pretty good idea what's going to be said about Matthew 5, unless they're not using that commentary. But most likely that's what's going to happen says, whether you use them in the early phases of preparation to find expository insights or later to check your work, these resources are immensely helpful for interpreting scripture within the community of the saints standing on the shoulders of those who've come before us. That's a spiritual way. We're standing on the shoulders of those who came before us or... <laughs> We're allowing those who came before us to do the work for us. But that's a whole different, different. I mean, well, it's not even really a different discussion, but it's an, it's, it, it very much relates to this. But I think it's important to at least consider that. Next paragraph. But as we reach for these books on our shelves, have we ever paused to question what started this process of adding comments on the text? Why, after 2,000 years, are Christians still writing commentaries? 2,000 years, Christians are still writing commentaries. 
still writing Bible study material, still writing study notes, still writing study bio, still writing study Bibles, 2,000 years, and we still more, 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 more. Why? Now, that's another question that could lead to some disturbing conversations. Are you right? I'm going to go ahead and say it. Because after 2,000 years, we still don't know how to interpret the Bible. After 2,000 years, we can't even agree yet on how to interpret the Bible. After 2,000 years, we still don't agree on how to interpret baptism. After 2,000 years, we still don't even agree on how to interpret a word like repentance. After 2,000 years, we don't even agree how to understand the concepts of justification, sanctification. We don't even understand how to—we don't even yet understand how to understand the word church. We don't even understand how—I mean, we disagree on everything. That's why they're still writing commentaries. Now, what is the history of commentaries? Commentaries on scripture have their roots deep in our history. In one sense, the fifth book of the Pentateuch, the book of Deuteronomy, is itself an inspired commentary on God's Torah. That's that's an interesting approach. Now, of course, any commentary that would be inspired by God would be a good commentary, right? Would be a, now, a lot of times we like to say the Bible is its own best commentator. It's its own best commentary is what we tend, we, we love to say that. We love, the Bible is its own commentary. Well, if that's the case, then why do we have thousands upon, probably millions of commentaries have been written. If the Bible is its own best commentary, then we don't need any other commentaries. Why do we have study Bibles? So we say that on one hand, the Bible is its own commentary. Well, we have 50 commentaries in our office. So I don't, I don't know if we really believe that. And if the Bible is its own commentary, how come it doesn't, how come the commentary of the Bible on itself is not sufficient to get us to any, even remotely close to anything called an agreement? So we, we could even argue about that. So it says, so you have the Pentateuch, or you have the Deuteronomy, they say is in some ways a, an inspired commentary on the Torah um, or on God's law. Fast forward to the days of Jesus and the first Jewish Targums began to appear in writing. Now, the Jewish Targums are basically explanations of the scripture text, and they begin to show unity and diversity of interpretation within the Jewish community guiding readers on how to understand and even read God's word. Now, you could argue, though in many cases, I think you could argue that many times the Jews came along and here's God's law, and then their commentary, their adding to it, almost in many cases became problematic because in some ways they almost subverted and replaced the word of God with their own traditions and their own interpretations. In other words, in some cases, their interpretation literally Replace the scripture. I know it's subtle, right? This is very subtle, and I don't think we always realize this. It is very easy for us to take a interpretive tradition, a hermeneutical tradition. This is how we interpret it. This is how we understand it. And slowly but surely, that actually replaces the word of God as the authority. Your interpretation of it becomes authoritative, and scripture becomes subservient to the interpretation. 
Not, not subtle. I'm not saying that that's what we intend to do. But so many, I mean, they know what the Pharisees and the Sadducees say. Hey, you can't do this. You can't do this. Whoa, whoa, wait, where did you get that? Where did you get that? Because they started interpreting the law and adding things to the law. It was their own traditions and their own interpretations. It is hard sometimes to keep the pure, unadulterated, uncorrupted word of God as the authority because we constantly try to interpret it. And then our interpretation really then becomes the authority and, and it almost blinds. We, 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 so many times we can't see the scriptures because of the interpretations, because of the sermons, because of the commentaries. Sometimes it's the sermon and it's the commentaries that's actually keeping you from the scriptures. And I know it's very subtle. And it's always hard to distinguish that. So you kind of go with Deuteronomy being supposedly kind of a commentary on uh, the, the other books of the Pentateuch. Then you have the Jewish Targums, which obviously become an, an, an issue. Then, in the following century, Christian leaders began producing commentaries and circulating homilies to provide help in the interpretation of Scripture. So then, as time moved on, commentaries started being written in homilies or sermons. And in the sermon, they offer their interpretation, which serves as a commentary. So, for example, if you're on the Sermon Audio uh, Sermons 2.0 web, uh, Sermons 2.0 app, all of those sermons are commentaries. Millions of commentaries. Now, many of those commentaries, though, are simply common, are simply preaching what they took from a commentary. So in some cases, you're actually getting a different commentary, well, as we've already discussed. Some of the first commentaries on the New Te uh, Testament, though sadly no longer extant, can came from the catechetical school of Alexandria in Egypt. All right. So some of the first commentaries came from the catechetical school of Alexandria in Egypt. And the name of the individual was, his name was P-A-N-T-A-E-N-U-S. Pantanus, I think is how you say his name. Uh, uh, Pant Pantanus, I think is how you say it. Pantanus. P A N T. A-E-N-U-S, Pentanus. Uh, and so that's, that's the man's name. And this was a man who apparently went on to spread the gospel to India. All right. So you have the catechetical school, catechesis, right, to teach, right, the catechism, right? So the catechetical school of Alexandria in Egypt and the pen of Pentanus, a man who apparently went on to spread the gospel to India. The Antiochian school or Antiochian school of interpretation, the Antiochian school of interpretation, uh, the, uh, the church that formed the headwaters of Paul's missionary journeys also produced vol voluminous, voluminous, I should say, commentaries, often in the form of homilies. So there was the Antiochian school of interpretation, and they began to produce these volumes or these large commentaries. Basically, they were in the form of homilies. So as big as basically what started becoming commentaries were sermons uh, or what yeah, sermons became commentaries. I, I should say that the commentaries were basically sermons. That's the right way to put that. So no, someone would preach a homily and then that would basically become the commentary. A good example. 
I'll get a good example. If you're a fan of John MacArthur, and if you look at MacArthur's commentaries, go look up those sermon series. In many cases, those commentaries are nothing more than edited sermons. All right? So in many cases, the preaching is what leads to the commentary. But then, that's usually for the people writing the commentary. Their preaching leads to the commentary. But for many preachers, their preaching is nothing more than copying the commentary that they built their sermon on. So sometimes, which comes first? Was it the commentary or the sermon? Or as they referenced in this article, the homily. Which came first? Well, sometimes for the person who's going to ultimately write a commentary, it was their sermons that came first. Then their commentaries. For many preachers, their sermon is coming from the commentary. If that makes any sense. These commentaries sprung from writers and preachers, uh, and then they begin to name some of these uh, individuals, right? Uh, because uh, there's a number of individuals here. Now, down through the Middle Ages and into the Reformation, commentaries on the Bible remained an ever-growing stream of output from the church and benefit to the saints. The most notable remains Calvin's, which has endured enduring value for expositor and students of the Bible today. The venerable tradition of biblical commentaries has served to press the church deeper into the word so long as interpreters have refused to make commentaries a shallow substitute for personal engagement with the text of scripture. So, hey, don't make a commentary a substitute for personal engagement in scripture. That sounds like a good, that sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? Sounds like a great plan. Sounds like a great plan. Hey, Come on, don't, don't allow the commentary to be a shallow substitute for your own personal engagement in scripture. It sounds good, but I'm telling you, it happens constantly. And, and here's typically how I know it happens. You just go up to any Christian. Oh, you, you're a Bible student. You like to study the Bible. Okay. So what Bible study methods do you use? And they kind of give you a look like, what do you mean Bible study method? Like, what Bible study method? Well, I mean, I don't really have a method. You don't, what, you don't know Bible study method? No observational method? Nothing? Nothing? Well, he immediately tells me what they're doing. They're using other resources to interpret the Bible. It's not, they're not, the interpretation is not flowing from their own exegetical work on the text. It's flowing from someone else. That's why so many times you'll see it in almost any church you go to. Oh, the women, the women are going to be having a Bible study. Oh, they're going to have a Bible study. And guess what? You're going to come in and they're going to say, here's the book we're using. Wait a minute, that we're doing a Bible study. No, you're going to be studying what someone else said about the Bible. Men's Bible study. Here's the book we're going to be using. They always got to give you a book. How about you get together and then you use a Bible study method to work on the text? What a what an amazing idea, right? Wouldn't that be an amazing idea? And if you do use a book, and if you do use a curriculum, then guess what you do? Here's what the curriculum says. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to set that aside as this is the hypothesis. You're right. You summarize what they say about the text. Here's what they claim. Now we're going to go do work on it. Now you use it as the thing you're going to test and you're going to challenge. That's a whole different approach, but it doesn't typically work that way. What's in the book is what's going to be taught. Maybe with some subtle corrections or some subtle, you know, subtractions, you're going to skip it, you're not going to mention it, but that's not really study. 
Now, the article continues. This is the author of the article writing. When I was working on my dissertation on Colossians 1.24, multiple visitors to my home saw the stacks upon stacks of commentaries and other resources spread out on my dining room table. And they asked, all this for one verse? The answer is complicated. Now, as soon as I saw that, I had to do a little bit of laughing. Because I think Christians talk out of both sides of their mouth, right? I think, I think, I think we, we don't understand how foolish we look sometimes. On one hand, we claim now that we are Christians, we have the Holy Spirit. He opens our mind. He leads us into all truth. We understand scripture because God gives us the understanding. Well, we wouldn't need 2,000 years of commentaries. We wouldn't need all the sermons. We wouldn't need all the homilies. We wouldn't need anything. I would read it and God would give me the understanding. That does not happen. I wish it did. Because if it did, there would be perfect unity. There would be perfect agreement. There would be one doctrine, one creed, one theology, one ba- baptism, one church. Hey, there would be, it would, but no, 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 it does not work that way. The fact is that he has stacks upon stacks of commentaries for Colossians 1.24 demonstrates that you know why you need so many different commentaries? Because there's that many different interpretations. And a lot of times the person sitting in the pew does not understand that. They think there's just one way of understanding it. And then you realize, no, there's probably 50 ways of understanding it because we can't agree on anything, which then raises more problems. It says more commentaries help because each author brings his or her personal perspective to bear on the text. Whoa. More commentaries help because each author brings his or her personal perspective to bear on the text. How many of your interpretations, one, are nothing more than the interpretation you took from a commentary or a sermon, so they're not even really yours? Two, how many of your interpretations are nothing more than your own personal perspective that you've placed onto the text. You've read into the text. You've you've kind of placed it above the text. You'll never admit that. You'll be like, no, 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 I would never do that. We all do it. We bring our own personal perspective and it bears on the text. So some cases, our understanding of the text has nothing to do with us or study. We've relied on the words of someone else, whether a sermon or a, some form of a commentary or our own personal perspective now enters in on the text. Now listen to what they say. The more commentaries you have, the better you're able to sort out what would be considered normative and what would be considered not normative, something something out, 
outside of what most people believe. Like in other words, if you have 15 commentaries and you got eight or 10 that say this is the way to interpret it, that's the normative and everything else that's kind of outside the norm. That maybe you may want to almost say they're kind of off the road. They're, they're, they're out in left field. Now, is that a good thing? So then do you go with the interpretation of the eight? Do you go with the interpretation of the 10? Or is it possible that the one, two, three, four, one commentary, two commentaries are right? And they're the ones that are outside the norm. Which, which one do you go with? Do you go with the norm or the ones outside the norm? Because if I go from my Bible, Jeremiah was not in the, was not in the majority. So he would have been not considered a part of the norm. He would have been, he would have been considered outside of the norm. More commentaries also help because each author approaches the text with his or her own purpose. Oh, boy. I'm picking up a pencil. So how much of your own interpretation, how much of your interpretation is based off just commentaries? How much of it is based off your own perspective that you've now placed upon the text? And how much of your interpretation is based off your own personal approach to the text, your own purpose and approaching the text? In other words, you've inserted your own purpose into the text. That's easy to do in preaching. So easy to do. If your purpose is, because a lot of times we come up, and this happens in preaching a lot, you come up almost with the idea, with the topic, with the point, with the thesis before you, before you find the scripture, then you go to the scripture and then you can read that purpose into the text. That's one thing you've got to be so careful of. That's why sometimes in preaching, it's much better to do this. So, and I've said this so many, a lot of, when we do sermon reviews, I point this out all the time when I feel like it happens, right? I'm like, I don't know if he, he, I don't know if he even needed that text. Sometimes this is what it's better to do. Hey guys, tonight, to this morning, we're, I've been just really thinking about this subject and I've been struggling with it and I've been consumed by it. So we're going to talk about that and don't worry about having a text. Now, some people are like, I can't believe I came to church and he didn't open the Bible. Oh my goodness. What are we going to do? I can't handle this. This is a whole evil church. Okay. All right. Calm down. I would rather a pastor honestly express, here's the things I've been thinking about, and I don't necessarily have a scripture for this, because it's better It's better to do that than try to impose this, this idea in his brain into the text, because his purpose is to preach that topic. Just preach the topic. Just preach the topic. So I, when you say more commentaries help because each author approaches the text with his or own purpose, if we're in, if we're approaching the text for our own purpose, I think we're already in trouble, aren't we? Some commentaries are intended to make sense of the Hebrew or Greek text first and foremost. Now, in that sense, they're saying the approach of that commentary would be like they're focused on the original language. Okay, I understand that. Others aim to present the broader theological aims of the book. Still others focus on exegesis of the text, bringing out the meaning of the passage at hand. Academic commentaries tend towards critical matters, discussing issues of authorship, source, and form. Devotional commentaries tend towards practical matters, discussing issues of significance in the life of the believer. Each commentary is valuable based on its function. Now, the thing is, all of these commentaries have their function, but the real issue is what is the function? What is the purpose? What is the meaning of the text? 
So they go through and they, they talk about commentaries and like, hey, hey. And so the whole point of this entire article then is to go, guys, we need to fill in the gap. There's a lot of things commentaries don't do, and we've got the commentary that will. And then the Gospel Coalition points you to their commentary. It, again, the Gospel Coalition all run together, the Gospel Coalition all run together, dot org backslash commentary, and you will see all of their commentaries. If you go there, in fact, let me just, I got to swipe over here on my iPad to get all the way over here. If you go here, first there's a filter. You can click whichever, you can click the books you want, right? You can click, but here we go. They have the Old Testament. Uh, uh, this, is, this is some of the things that they have. It starts off with an introduction to the Bible. They have the story and message of the Bible, the author and inerrancy of Scripture, Old Testament, introduction to the Old Testament, the reliability of the Old Testament, uh, the Pentateuch, introduction to the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the historical books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and they're all outlined there. You can look each one up. You can go to specific chapters. It's all free. And that's awesome. That's awesome. They're, they're obviously looking for, uh, offer, asking people for money to support it, which I can understand, but it's all free. And that's an amazing resource. That's an amazing resource. So by all means, go use it, bookmark it, save it, open it up anytime you need to look at a commentary. But I think we need to really consider the whole subject of commentaries. I think we have to be honest with ourselves and what we actually do. How much of what we do is actually Bible study and how much of what we do is really nothing more than just relying on what other people have to say. And what can we do to turn the pulpit into a place where we actually study the text instead of places where sermons are simply delivered, where in many cases they're nothing more than just the pastor giving you the commentary that he looked at to formulate a sermon. And if you hear all those sirens in the background, I have no idea what's going on, but yeah, that's that's the sound in the background. I I look, I think commentaries are amazing. I th- I do think they're amazing. It's great that we live in a time where we have access to so many, but the fact that we have so many the more I've looked at commentaries, the more I, over the years, you know, it, it became a painful revelation that nobody can agree on anything. Literally no one. I, I, again, I've told you the story a million times when we were a, a passage in the book of Revelation. I don't even remember. It was something like, I don't know, 50 commentaries, like 100 interpretations. I don't remember the exact math, mathematical formula, but it was crazy. It was, it was a, 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 a significant number of commentaries, but the number of interpretation far exceeded the actual number of commentaries that, that had been looked at in and of itself. That's crazy. Like, here's like 20 commentaries and you get 50, 60, 70 interpretations. That, that's just mind boggling to me. And it's very frustrating, but every Christian need to be, needs to be aware of that fact. I think pastors, churches, and Christians, we need to get to the point where we approach the text. We look to the text, the text, the text, the text, the text, and we learn to do observational work, observational study, observational approach to the text. And after we've done that, 
and we've exhausted everything. We've looked, we've asked questions, we've considered, we've, we've done everything that we can do to make sure we have a good idea what's there. Then by all means, then we open the commentaries. But I think, I think, I think in some ways commentaries supplement, uh, they, they subvert, they supplant the actual scripture. They're beautiful to have. We should use them. It's just, it's one of those things, will we ever use them correctly? And I don't know what, I don't know if we will. I think we should use them. So please don't understand this to be a podcast episode where I'm saying never use them. Saying it was just somehow we have to get back to the text. And you can use commentaries to get yourself into the text. You actually can. If you'll take the commentary and go, this is the hypothesis. Here's what they put forth. All right, now let's go. So that in that case, doesn't matter. And I, what people are like, well, I need a good commentary. Just any commentary. And then you just understand it as it's putting forth its hypotheses. And that's your job now to do the work. But see, people don't want that. They want someone to tell them what's a good commentary so that when they don't understand, they just open it and read the commentary and go, that has to be right. It's right because your team told you it was a good commentary. It's not, not, oh, it's so not Bible study. The 2,000 years, the church has been writing them and they continue to write them. Which shows you that we never will come into agreement. But please, today, thegospelcoalition.org backslash commentary. Look up all of those commentaries. Let me know what you think. Do you like it? Did you find something interesting in it? Do you like their approach to a text? Do you disagree with their approach to a text? Anything you want to share about it. Because it's another resource. And I wanted you to know the resource. But I wanted to just discuss a lot of things about commentaries. But I would challenge you. Is your preaching, are you actually in, in church? When you go to church, are you actually engaging the text? Or can you probably pinpoint that the text, that the sermon came from a specific commentary? Now, I got no problem if a pastor wants to do that. I got no problem. He just needs to, I mean, you know, just, hey, we're going we're gonna to look at what this commentary has to say. Sometimes you, you, sometimes it's the best course of it. Sometimes you don't know what else to do. And you're like, you know what? We're just going to use this commentary. I got no problem just making it clear where, where it comes from and what you're doing. You can give me your thoughts all about commentaries. News, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I know that was kind of a long journey <laughs> through the subject of commentaries. But in some ways, they're almost omnipresent in the life of a believer. Where I believe what should be omnipresent, and I know, I know people think I'm always joking, but I, I do mean it. A pencil, pencil sharpener, a notebook, and a Bible. And, and you go to work. You go to work. You put it together. My pencil sharpener just fell open and all the stuff just fell out all over the place. Yeah. Everywhere. I mean, it's a mess. I just made an absolute mess in my studio. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything inside the pencil sharpener is now 
well, first it's on top of me. Yeah. So aren't you glad? See, that's, I know it, that's what some of you are saying that, see, that's why I don't use a pencil sharpener because I don't use pencil. I know because, yeah, what the point is, <laughs> that was kind of funny. The point is, I try to overemphasize that almost using hyperbole at times because I'm trying to get people to get to the, just the text and a pencil and a notebook. You are struggling. You're working it out. You have to be erasing, maybe crossing it out. You're, you're putting forth hypotheses. You're, 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 you are, you're doing observational work. You're working, you're working, you're working, you're working. We, we did a little bit of that in our last Bible pop quiz, right? About Jesus cleansing the temple. I wanted you to do a little bit of work, finding all the cross-references. I wanted you to compare and contrast. That, that's, that's what I'm trying to do, is get us into the text. Us and the text. Us and the text. Us and the text. All right. News, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great rest of your Saturday. God bless.